take your Bible, make your way back to the Psalms, to the 131st Psalm is our text tonight. The 131st Psalm finds itself in the collection of Psalms that are entitled the Songs of Degrees. And uh, we've been studying these Psalms for many weeks, and I believe we'll be in them three more weeks. And uh, they have been a great blessing as we have lump them together in a series in which we have called and entitled an Old Testament playlist. And I trust that uh, these psalms become just that, a regular routine of reading in your life, a place for you to go as they are preached uh, in the themes and the areas that they touch, a place to you to go and to hear the music of the Word of God what you may not hear audibly in melody, you would hear by spirit as the word of God is read and appropriated. Um, you know that this is a collection of 15 psalms. You can break them down in, into five groups of five. And within that group of five, they, they repeat a threefold theme, trouble, trust, and triumph. And so as you are in trouble, you would locate those as you find the ones and you've come to moments that you need to trust, then uh, you would find that. And then moments of triumph as we trust in the faithfulness of the Lord and find his wonderful deliverance. You probably have already noticed as you look at Psalm 131 that it's relatively short, right? Three verses. Please don't just associate a short passage with a short message. I was just seeing who was awake, right? Um, I've entitled the lesson tonight, Real Humility, Real Hope. And I want to read this, and I'm asking God to allow me justice in just reading it. Because I want you to hear the intense, personal heart of this psalm that has three verses that was written by David. It begins, Lord, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved quieted myself as a child that's weaned of his mother. My soul, it's really where the quiet nature of you rest is in your soul. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. In the collection of the songs, this finds its way in the third part of the fourth collection. So it would be trouble, trust. This psalm would be a psalm of triumph. We're told we understand and know the author of the psalm. This is David. We know that out of the 15, he wrote four of them. Solomon pinned one. We're not sure who pinned the other ten. We can tell 
by the beginning of the psalm that it is an intensely personal psalm. Maybe you've had this opportunity before when you go to cry out to God out of a brokenness or despair and you begin your prayer with Lord. Sometimes formally we begin our prayer with dear heavenly father or father. But I find when I'm broken and when I'm humbled and when I'm personal, when I'm not exactly sure, I begin my prayers with Lord. David here, we are told by, by Bible scholars as they assess all three of the verses, they feel like this, this psalm was penned in his youth. They take from verse number three his admonition to Israel as a nation and his first two verses as defense before God as possibly a misunderstood young David. A misunderstood young David who had at in his heart the goodness of Israel, but is, is misunderstood by others as to be arrogant, proud, covetous, more than what he ought to be. We know, but Bible scholars believe that This was probably a psalm that was discovered after David was dead. Many feel because of the personal nature of this, it may have been written like you would write into a diary or you would write something that your thoughts that you were having in the moment. Especially if David is being attacked here for being an arrogant young punk. And his motive is being questioned. When your motive is good and that good motive is called into question, that's hard on you. And so Bible scholars in helping preachers understand this passage picture a David that is facing fierce attack, misunderstood, motive being judged improper, and really and truthfully defending himself before the Lord. And David cries out and begins his, his intensely personal song of humility by crying out to the Lord and defending a very, very rare place that can be defended. And that's the truth of your heart. The Bible talks about Mankind not knowing his heart thoroughly or perfectly. The Bible talks about only God knows our hearts in full. But in this passage of scripture, David is writing an intensely personal song of humility. He's being accused of arrogance and he's defending himself with humility And he has the audacity to take his defense straight to the Lord and and begin his defense in a very, very hard place to defend his heart. It's interesting. True humility or real humility as seen in the eyes of David really begins in our heart. 
Sometimes I get asked a definition of humility, and there's a bunch of them out there. I'll give you a definition that I kind of came up with. I think humility is the understanding that without the Lord, I am nothing, I have nothing, and I can do nothing. Without the Lord, I am nothing, I have nothing, and I can do nothing. On the opposite of that is, if I am something, it's because of Jesus. If I have something, it's because of Jesus. And if I can do anything, it's because of Jesus. So David here is giving us a glimpse to an extremely personal moment where his heart is right with God, where he is humble. And I want to just draw these things to your attention and then show you some things about humility. David said, Lord, my heart is not haughty. That word haughty is the word proud, arrogance. The Bible says that only by pride cometh contention. David is being attacked, but he's not contentious. For David is not, does not have a heart that is filled with pride. And we know that God knows everything, but David himself is honest with the Lord about his heart. And David has opened up his heart to the Lord. And David says, Lord, you know my heart. You study my heart. As far as I am concerned, in honesty with myself, my heart is not haughty. True or real humility that produces a real hope begins with an open heart to the Lord. Think about this. David goes to God and says to God, I'm not guilty. They're attacking me. They're accusing me. But I do not have haughtiness in my heart. It is a wonderful moment when you can go to God and say, God, my heart is right with you. It's a wonderful moment when you find yourself in a situation, and it is rare when you can say, Lord, I'm honestly biblically obedient. I honestly do not have hatred in my heart. I honestly do not have pride in my heart. Lord, here's my heart. I don't want to be wrong. You search my heart. David knew what it was to open up his heart and to be honest with himself. I would submit to you that real humility cannot be found unless you have an open heart to the Lord. And it begins in the heart. Pride cometh by contention. Pride affects the heart. Look at what David said. He said, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. That's interesting. Not only does humility begin in our hearts, but it affects the eyes. Here, that word not lofty is, is talking about a conceitedness, an arrogance. David is being accused of seeing himself better than he really is. And David says, no, God, I'm not, seeing my, I, I'm not guilty of seeing myself better than I am. I'm not guilty of seeing myself in some arrogant way. 
I see myself as humble. I see myself in need of you. I see myself as nothing without you, having nothing without you, doing nothing without you. Mine eyes are not lofty. This is interesting because so many times we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. But real humility brings me to a position where my eyes are not lofty and conceit is not in my heart. I don't see myself better than I really am. And by the way, at your best, you're a sinner saved by grace. How much trouble we get in when conceit fills our eyes and we think of ourselves and see ourselves better than we really are. Remember my definition of humility. Without the Lord, I am nothing. I have nothing. And I can do nothing. David goes on in his defense here in this deeply intimate personal song of humility. I mean, this is him in the private moments of his devotions. This is him under fierce attack in accusation, pleading his innocence to the Lord. Mine eyes are not lofty. Now watch this verse number one. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters. He's talking here about the control of his mind. He's talking here about his ego. He's talking here about not exalting himself to concern of things that are none of his concern. And the humility begins in the heart, David says. My heart's not haughty. It affects my eyes. My eyes are not lofty and I'm not filled with conceit. And it checks my mind or my ego, which means... That I don't exercise myself in matters that are above me. Which means I understand that without the Lord I am nothing, I have nothing, and I can do nothing. Therefore, if I'm going to have something, it's going to from the will of God or the word of God. If I'm going to accomplish something, God's going to enable me to do that. And, and, and if I'm going to do something, he's going to be able to enable me to do that. And so I'm not in a position where I'm inflated in my ego. This is not me on an ego trip, God. This is me deeply concerned for the spiritual welfare of others. And sometimes we get attacked that way. Sometimes we have a desire for somebody to be saved. We have a desire for somebody to grow in love. And the Lord, we have a desire for deep spiritual blessing upon them. And then we get accused of being a holy roller. We get accused of some type of ego. David here is facing that same thing. But he's defending himself with the Lord. And he says, I'm not exercising myself in those great matters. Look at verse number 1. Or in things that are too high for me. So his humility that began in his heart that was right with God. That affected his eyes and how he saw himself and saw others. Controlled his ego in his mind. He didn't get puffed up in his mind like he was better than others. But it also kept him humble in trusting the Lord in things that were too difficult or too profound for him. David would say, I may not understand everything that's going around me, but I can trust the Lord. Let me just make that point to you. I think it is the epitome of arrogance when we think that we know more than God knows about our lives. And sometimes we exercise ourselves in matters that are too profound for us. Like tomorrow. We can barely handle today. And we have the audacity to think we can handle tomorrow. So God, just tell me what's going to happen tomorrow. I can handle it. No. 
No, you can't handle it. Because without the Lord, you are nothing. Without the Lord, you have nothing. And without the Lord, you can do nothing. So if I'm going to handle anything, it's because of Jesus. So David said, they're accusing me of all these things, but you know my heart. You know my eyes. You know my mind. You, you know the arrogance or the ego that I, you, you understand that that's not me, God. Evidenced in verse number two, surely I have behaved and quieted myself. This is interesting. This behavior speaks in this quietness, speaks of a behavior and a quietness that comes from a stilled or a quiet mind right beside that verse, Colossians 3.12. I don't have the time to take you there, but you'll appreciate that reference. Colossians 3.12. David said, I have behaved and I have quieted myself. And he gives, he gives an illustration of this behavior and this quietness or this stillness. And, and he likes it to the weaning of a child from his mother. As a child that is weaned of his mother, my soul is even as a weaned child. Now, you know what it is for a child to wean from the breast of his mother or, 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 or her mother. We understand that the weaning of a child at that stage marks, marks a stage in the child's growth, right? It's a good thing to wean the child. Um, I could tell you stories about that, but I don't have time to tell you stories about that. As the child is being weaned from its mother... It's actually not a negative thing. It's a, it's a positive thing. A child that's not weaned within a natural time can become a, can, can become a gross problem. The weaning of a child marks the stage of growth and development. It, it, it's a wonderful moment of, of independence as far as it's, it's not dependent upon the, the, the body of the mother, but it's also a wonderful moment of dependence as there's an independence to it, yet the child cannot be cared for apart from the love and the nurture of the mother. Now, I'll try to tell some stories without turning red here. Um, I remember when we were we, we, I should get an amen from the men. I remember when we were weaning. It sure was a great time in my life when those children were born and I could do this number in the middle of the night and say the baby's crying. Once the weaning start, it came this way. The baby's crying. In the middle of that, at the beginning of that weaning, there would be screaming and crying and, 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 and a desire for the child to go, to go back, right? So David says, in essence, God, I'm like this little child. 
I, I, I've been weaned from my mother and I'm, I'm, I'm weaned in my, in my soul. So, so the child that, that gets hungry and cries for hunger and cries for certain things has a, has a bodily hunger. David's not talking about a, a bodily situation here. He's talking about the humbleness and the quietness of his soul. And he says, I, I've been weaned. I'm, I'm independent and yet I'm, I'm dependent. I'm independent from, look at verse number one, haughtiness, loftiness, ego, profoundness, or arrogance in the fact that I think I can handle these type of things. I have learned that without you I am nothing. Without you I have nothing. And without you I can do nothing. So therefore, in my soul, I'm, I'm independent of haughtiness and loftiness and all of that. I don't want any of that. Yet I'm dependent upon you, Lord. And in that weaning, David says, I just have this wonderful, settled peace in my life. Peace that really began with the humility of my heart, which affected the loftiness of my eyes, which came into the control of my ego and the arrogance of my understanding. And I'm, I'm, I'm void of that. I'm weaned of that. And I've learned my dependence upon you. And so you can imagine as he's writing in this personal, intimate way, in the quietness of his devotion, and all of these accusations that are coming against him to the opposite, and yet David says, listen, I, I have learned because of my humbleness to the Lord in my heart, peace in my soul. Powerful statement. Verse number three. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forevermore. This is David's acclamation or call for hope. This is David saying, you're, you're making these accusations against me, but in reality, all, all I care about is the spiritual welfare of Israel, the blessing of Israel. I'm not guilty of those things. I'm settled in peace to that. And I really have a wonderful desire that you're blessed spiritually the way that I'm blessed spiritually. And you're, you're attacking my motive here that I have some agenda toward Israel. And in reality, the only agenda that I have toward Israel is that they would hope in the Lord. By the way, a humble heart and a humble life lives so others can know God. To be humble with the Lord, David said. To trust Him for triumph. To trust Him in those moments. This is David pleading his case before God and saying, God, you know what they're saying about me is not right. My heart is right with you. My eyes are not lofty. My, I am not exercising myself in an ego way in my mind. I'm not arrogant there. I do not carry around this, this God syndrome where I think I'm this. I, I have learned in my soul, and I've been weaned from that, and I'm dependent upon you, and I have this burden 
for them. Are you with me so far? Say amen. All that was introduction. Take your pen out. Track with me. Second Chronicles 7.14, please. Let's start there. teach you some things about real humility and how it brings about real hope in our lives. I have one, I don't know, 35 of them. I'll give you two or three of them. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14. I know you know it, but let your eyes fall on the word of God. If my people, by the way, if that description is you, would you say amen? You're a child of God, which are called by my name shall humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will hear the land. Number one, humility in my life is what it takes at the beginning to get right with God. Nobody gets right with God without a humble heart. Nobody seeks the face of God and repents without first being humble in their own heart and in their own spirit. Now, David could go to God and David could say, They are accusing me of a sinful position. But I'm telling you that my heart is right with you. I have a humble heart. It's not wrong. You might be here tonight. And you can't pray because you have something in your life. And you know when you go to pray you feel as hypocritical as the day is long. You know that when you pray your prayers aren't getting above your nose or the ceiling. You know that there's a problem there. I need you to understand the only way you're ever going to get right with God is to first humble yourself in your heart. Now David said this, I exercise myself. All throughout the Bible, the Bible says, humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself. When you read, and God humbled them, it hurt really bad. I would submit to you that the times in your life, believer, when God had to humble you, it hurt really bad. But the onus is on you. So David could say before God, I've humbled my heart to you, Lord. You know my heart. I would submit to you that there's something between you and the Lord tonight that needs to be confessed and brought forward, God's waiting on you to humble yourself. Go, if you would, please, to chapter 12, verse number 7, same book, 2 Chronicles 12, verse number 7. Watch what humility has the power to do. And when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves... The word of the Lord came to Shemaiah saying, 
They have humbled themselves. Therefore, I will not, what are those two words? Destroy them. Now watch this. This is interesting. But I will grant them some deliverance. Now this is because this wasn't a full humility here. But I would like you to know that not only does it take humility to get right with God, it takes humility to watch, see God's deliverance in your life. Many times we get out of the will of God. Many times we get to a place where we get stubborn and obstinate in that position. And many of the times we get ourselves in trouble and we get in bondage and we get in some type of problem and we pray to God for deliverance. I would submit to you that when you pray to God for deliverance, God is looking for humility in your life. I would also say this. You read Ahab. Ahab was the most wicked king Israel had. He hated God. God was moving against Ahab, and Ahab had one moment in his life where he humbled himself, and God said, did you see that? He stopped and he said to a lot, did you see that? Ahab humbled himself, and God took a step back. And God did not bring disaster in his life, but he brought it in his son's life because there was a lack of humility. What am I trying to say? Even when you are about to sink in your obstinance, if you will cry out in honest humility to God, God can still deliver you. You should remember that. Go, if you would, please, to Isaiah 57, verse 15. I have... I'll just give you two more. Isaiah 57, 15. It's a powerful verse. Verse number 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one, that inhabiteth eternity. It's not wrong for God to be lofty. He is lofty. Whose name is holy. I love that. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and what are those two words, class? Humble spirit. Now watch this. To revive The spirit of the humble to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Humility is not only what it takes to begin to get right with God. It's not only the cry of humility that brings about the deliverance of God. But it is the humble spirit that brings about a renewal and a revival with God. So let me say to the believer who's here today and you're dry. And you know you're dry. Your Bible reading is different. Your thoughts are different. Your temptations are just on fire. You never experienced this before. You're sensitive everywhere. You're hearing things you've never heard. You, you sense touch you've never sensed before. And you're just, you're just dry. 
and you're wanting God to do something. Isaiah teaches us that God said, it's the spirit of the humble that I renew and that I revive. If I'm in a position where I'm like that, I go to God and I say, God, somewhere I haven't humbled myself to you. Somewhere I'm not broken. Somewhere I'm not honest in my heart. There's, there's mercy with you every day. There's blessing with you every day. There's the living, the living water that flows from you. And so if I'm in this dry, barren moment, then there has to be something wrong with me. By the way, there's never anything wrong with God. God, somewhere I haven't humbled myself. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, all the way back in the New Testament. Did I say two more or three more? Let's go with three. I'm just kidding. James chapter 4. Are you there? James 4, verse number 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the who class? Humble. Wow. You're you're probably holding your Bible like I am right here. So don't lose James, but go to 1 Peter chapter 5. You can just come a couple pages over. 1 Peter chapter 5. Look, if you would, Peter writes, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Now watch this. To the non-believer and to the believer. So both James and Peter are teaching us the same thing. That wherever there's pride, you will feel the resistance of God. And wherever there is humility, there will be the lavish of grace. So in my Christian walk... When it feels like there is a resistance of God, no door is open. Everything I am doing, I'm feeling buffered at. It just feels like, Pastor, I'm just facing resistance. You always want to step back and say, God, am I arrogant? God, God, am am I haughty in my heart? Am I conceited in my mind? God, is my ego, do I think I know better in profound, difficult things? Do I think I know better? God, I'm facing resistance, and I don't feel the release of grace. Hold, come, you got your hand here. Come back to James chapter 4, please. Go to verse number 10. We're coming back to 1 Peter, and then we'll be done. Verse, we'll go to verse number 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Now watch this. And God will humble you. Is that what your Bible says? No, your Bible says what? Humble yourselves in the sight of the who. Not your own mind, 
That's what David said. David said, Lord, you know my heart. Wow. What, what, what boldness to go to God and say, God, you know my heart is innocent here. I know my heart is innocent here. You know my heart is humbled here. I know my heart is humbled here. James said that the responsibility to humble ourselves is in ours. Now watch this. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. That means you better be honest. And he shall lift you up. Watch how Peter words it. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may, what's that, those two words, exalt you in due time. So humility is what it takes at the beginning to get right with God. It brings about the deliverance of God. It's the humble spirit that God renews and revives. It's the humble spirit that God releases grace. It's the arrogance that God sticks out his arm and says, I'm resisting you, Tom. I've had this times before. When I think I know how my life should be, or I think I know what's best, and I think I'm going to go this direction, and I don't know how to tell it to you, unless you've experienced you don't know, it just seems like I run into the stiff arm of God. And nothing kind of has peace on it. No door is open. Everything is hard. And it's not hard in a, in a trial way. It's just hard in a way that just blows my mind. And it's almost like I feel God is against me. And I know from the scripture that God's never against me, but he's against pride. And he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And the Bible says that the responsibility of humility is on us. Real humility, in David's case, brought a real hope to himself and a blessing and a real hope to the nation. I don't know about you, but I want to have that same kind of humility in my life. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, what a glimpse into the personal life of King David. This is a, a man defending himself to God, an honest defense. Lord, you know my heart. You know my eyes. You know my mind. You know my ego. You know that I've behaved myself and quieted myself. My soul's weaned like a child from his mother. There's a stillness and a humbleness there, God. And it brings about a burden and a passion for others. A hope for them to know the Lord. So much in the Bible about humility. David would say, without you I am nothing, I have nothing, I can do nothing. Tonight, God, in our Bible study, we need to search our hearts. Can we honestly say, in good conscience that we can agree that there's no haughtiness there, no conceit, no arrogance. Can we honestly say 
that we're in that position where there's a wonderful blessing. If not, that's what it takes to get right with God. You said if we would humble ourselves. You said if we would humble ourselves, then there would be deliverance. You said to the humble in spirit, there would be renewal and revival. You said to the humble in spirit, there would be the releasing of grace, not the resistance of God. And then you said that if we would humble ourselves, you would lift us and you would exalt us. That doesn't necessarily mean that you would lift us and exalt us in physical position, but we're lifted and exalted in our soul. In our soul. And so no matter what's going on in our world, we're right with God. And then I have found when I'm right with God, you write everything that's going wrong in my world. Man, sure is a joy to be a Christian. Give us this heart. Give us this mind. Thank you for your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for your attention. I trust that you'll read the short psalm and glean as more. I chose a chorus to go home. Stand if you would, please. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. See you on Sunday as we go back to adding to our faith. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know that saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove the more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Good night. God bless you. You are dismissed.